Jesus, we thank you that we have a blessed assurance in you, that we as your sons and daughters can be assured that through your work on the cross we have been redeemed and we can be welcomed back to our Father and welcomed back to, back home. And we want to just, yeah, just take a moment to just give you the honor and all the glory that because of your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, we have been saved, that we have salvation, this great redemption that you promised throughout the Bible, we have received it through you, Jesus. We praise you for that. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning deeply through your word. pray that you would open our hearts, still our minds, help us to hear from you. And I really want to pray for change, King, that you would change not only just our understandings of who you are, but change our, our hearts and our emotions that we feel towards you and our actions as we live out our lives as Christ followers, as, as your sons and daughters. May you speak to us powerfully through your word, King. Amen. Cool. If you guys can take your seats, just going to get some water. Great. So we are going to be in, uh, well, firstly, let me just intro myself. My name's Nathan. Most of you should know me. Some of you might not. Uh, married to Mandy in the front here. We have a two and a half year old named Elizabeth, um, who's the best. And then we have another baby arriving in two weeks. So um, that's also exciting. So be praying for us. Um, so this morning, I'm actually wanting to continue kind of in our Look Up series. Um, it actually officially finished last week, but um, I wanted to kind of keep it going a little bit. And in a way, I want us to, I'm wanting to frame it that we're wanting to look back so that we can see more beauty when we look up. And then through looking up, we can have more faith and be filled with more hope as we look forward. So my sermon title this morning is preserved for joy. And last week, Bates shared just really well on rest and how, you know, to try to find true rest, we need to yoke ourselves to Jesus. Um, and, you know, my take home from that was this kind of, uh, I hope it's catchy, it's a tagline, which I'm sure will spur a Christian uh, clothing brand um, at some point. And it's this, get yoked. That's the tagline. So it's like, you know, you're chatting with a friend and he's like, yo, bro, I'm flipping tired, like this week has been hectic, and you're like, bro, get yoked. Um, so I think that'll really help. And then, I mean, we led youth ministry, so we had to like come up with these things, because teenagers, you've got to kind of keep them entertained. It's quite difficult. Um, but not you, Christian. I know you're focusing. Um, so this morning, my, my kind of... Uh, title is preserved for joy, and the tagline for the young guns in the room is be kept. So you can just remember that, be kept. Um, so this morning, we're actually going to be primarily based in Psalm 16. Um, that's kind of the anchor passage, and if you can just turn there for us. Um, and we will touch on a few other scriptures that are kind of wanting to come in and support and fill in some of the gaps. Um, but if you can turn there, and then I will pray for us. Um, as we read God's Word, and then we'll read through it together. 
So Father, may you come and speak to us deeply this morning, open this passage to us. I know that you've spoken to me quite powerfully, even just this week and spending time in this, and I pray that you would just fill us with a deeper level of hope and faith in you and joy in the future that, that you have for us, Father. So Psalm 16, from verse 1, it says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after, after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance." Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shoal or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So it's um, important to note that as we read this uh, psalm, which was written by David, and actually half of the psalms, I think 73 out of the 150 psalms were written by David, um, and it's important to understand that at times David writes as the king. So David was the king of Israel, and at times he kind of writes as the position of the king for Israel, but at other times he almost represents and kind of embodies God's people, as he writes the psalm. And I think it's crucial to understand that dynamic as we're reading Psalm 16, because David is not only, in a way, writing for himself, but he's actually writing for the people of Israel. And through Jesus, David's actually writing for us. So I just want to quickly give us an idea of where we're going. Um, So we're going to spend a little bit of time in Psalm 16, going through it, trying to understand and discern what David is, you know, really trying to say. Like, what is he really praying about? What is he really uh, trying to declare in Psalm 16? And then we're going to read some New Testament passages which actually quote Psalm 16 and uh, try and see what their view and how they understood Psalm 16. And then I want to try and kind of connect the two. Um, And I'm really hoping that this is going to be helpful for us and that God's going to use it powerfully in our lives. So we're just going to walk through the psalm uh, together quickly. And in, in verse, one, uh, verse 1 to 2, we see that David prays for preservation. That's kind of what he opens with. And then he also declares God as his refuge. He also has this phrase, which is a little bit confusing, Lord, you are my Lord. But you'll notice there, the first Lord is all capitals, which is reference to the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. And the second one is Lord with just a capital L, which actually references Adonai, so it's saying, Yahweh, you are my Lord. And this reminded me of Warren's sermon a couple of weeks ago of like, do you know him? Do you know God the Father as Yahweh? And then verse 3 to 4, the godly, those who honor God, are David's preferred company. And then verse 5 to 6, this really struck me when I read, when I read this. David declares his contentment with God and God's provision. Now, if you know anything about David's life, uh, it was filled with a lot of hardship. And yet... Here in the psalm, he's declaring contentment with the way that God had ordered his life because he has an understanding that it was providentially ordered, which basically means God ordered it in that way specifically, and he's then content with that. 
Verse 7 to 8, David delights in God's constant presence, and he affirms that he will pursue God's presence and instruction throughout his life. And then verse 9 to 11, this is kind of where we will mostly be focused this morning, uh, and probably the most well-known section of the psalm. David sings of his hope in everlasting joy, and he sings of this like one-day experience that he'll have in being in the fullness of joy and, and in the presence of God himself, where he'll find pleasures forevermore. So for myself, I asked the question, so what kind of what is the main thing that, that David's kind of praying here or singing here or declaring here? And I think for me, in verse 1, it's quite clear that he's praying to be preserved. He's saying, Father, preserve me. Um, and at face value, you know, when you're reading some Psalms by David, you know, he faced a lot of hardship in his life. So my mind kind of automatically went there. Okay, he must be praying for some kind of hardship. He's saying, Father, preserve me through this experience. But I think if we begin to see some of the connections from verse 1 with verse 9 to 11, we can see what he's really praying for. Like, what is he actually wanting to be preserved for? And I think he's actually praying this. He's praying this, Father God, don't let me be lost in death, but preserve me to dwell with you forever. So David is praying, God, preserve me. But preserve me for what? Preserve me to spend an eternity with you. You know, we see that quite clearly in verse 9 to 11. This just beautiful picture of eternity with God. Preserve me for your presence. Preserve me for your presence, which is the fullness of joy. And it's interesting because kind of between verse 1 and verse 9 to 11, we see um, almost like, I would argue, like a profession of faith from David, you know, kind of like between these two things. And he actually declares and professes that God is four key things for him. Firstly, that God is his safest refuge. We see this in verse 1 to 2. Secondly, he declares that God is his supreme treasure. That's in verse 2 and verse 5. Thirdly, he declares God is his sovereign Lord. And lastly, God is his trusted counselor. So in a way, I, I kind of understand this as like David almost professing God as his Lord and his Savior. You know, he's both his refuge and the one who orders his life uh, sovereignly. So he's the Lord of his life. And it's interesting to see how he's kind of making this profession of faith, but it's actually directly connected to the main thing he's praying for. And in a way, applies the truth of the main thing he's praying for. So he's praying, Father, preserve me for this eternal joy that I want to experience in you. And then he's making a profession of faith of like, you are my Lord and you are my God. Um, Piper kind of summarizes this point in this way. He says, God will bring you, that's being preserved, body and soul, through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure. That's joy, everlasting pleasure. If he is your safest refuge and your supreme treasure and your sovereign Lord and trusted counselor. So there you see John Piper's making the connection between the main thing that he's praying for, praying to be preserved with kind of the sub thing of like acknowledging God as his Lord and as his Savior. Now I want us to kind of step a little bit back and we're actually going to look at uh, 2 Samuel 7 and Paul preached on this a little while ago, probably about six weeks ago. And I want to do this to try and almost help us understand some of 
David's frame of mind as he's writing Psalm 16. So I'm going to read for us from verse 12. It says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. So in a way from this prophecy that Nathan spoke uh, to David, David kind of has these like two key minds and two key pictures in his mind. Um, and in a, in, in a way, this can formulate part of David's theology, like how he understood who God was and what he understood God was going to do in the future and also in his life, quite specifically. Um, and, in, and the two things are this. In, the, in verse 12, we see that Nathan prophesies that he would one day die and lie in a grave. And verse 13 and 16, we see that, he would, that one would come from his line, whose kingdom would last forever. So he has these two things in his mind, but I think at the time he didn't fully understand how they were connected or even how they could coexist. So I think just from like kind of biblical history and understanding what God had been doing, he had an understanding of like there's a redemption coming, um, but he couldn't understand like this prophecy of like you're going to die one day, but at the same time there's going to be a king who's going to come from your line whose kingdom will never end. So he did not know how these two could be connected. So from reading Psalm 16 initially, we kind of got an idea of the main point that David's really praying to be preserved for joy, to be preserved for an eternity of joy with God. But I want us, in a way, to kind of put our gospel glasses on and uh, to read, I'm going to read one text from uh, the New Testament and kind of see how they have understood Psalm 16 and how they have applied it. Uh, so let's read from Acts 2, I'll read it for us, Acts 2, 22 to 31. Um, and this is actually a section of Peter's Pentecostal speech in Acts uh, 2, 14 to 41. Uh, so from verse 22, it says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For God says concerning him, and here Peter quotes Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my, whole, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwelled in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, so he kind of explains it here, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Then verse 31, verse 31 he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And you'll actually see just a little bit later on in the book of Acts, in Acts 13, Paul actually in a similar speech also quotes Psalm 16 and explains it in a very similar way. 
And I think it's fairly clear from this passage that you can see uh, both, well, here specifically, Peter's understanding of Psalm 16 is saying, you know, Psalm 16 is a prophetic psalm. It's David prophesying about the resurrection of Jesus. And he's applying it and saying, it is Christ who will not see corruption, you know, in Psalm 16, 9 to 11. And it is Christ who will not be abandoned. Now, I want us to think in a way for a little bit, like, do, do we see the New Testament understanding of Psalm 16 in a way override something of what we've seen when we've initially read uh, Psalm 16 in the Old Testament? Does the New Testament understanding override the Old Testament meaning? Or perhaps is there a connection between the two that we are missing? So again, Old Testament understanding, the psalm is being, is, is David praying, preserve me for joy. New Testament understanding is David is prophesying about the resurrection of Jesus. So remember two, David's two pictures in his mind. You know, he knows, Nathan's told him he's going to die one day. And at the same time, he has this kind of like, but God's a redeeming God. God's going to do something here. And he also knows that someone from his line is, is going to be a king and his kingdom is going to last forever. But again, David didn't know how these could be connected or how, even how they could coexist. But I think that Peter and Paul tell us how, and actually the New Testament tells us how. And that's through the saving work of Jesus on the cross. That, you know, what, da- what David, in a, in, a, in a sense, couldn't see was that the resurrected Christ would be the one that would join these two things and make these two things coexist. And because of that, that through Jesus and through Jesus' victory over death, David and us can experience the preservation, you know, being kept, being preserved for joy that he was actually praying for. So then we can actually see this, this prophecy from Nathan of David's death was not a full and final death, but actually a temporary one, because one day David too will be resurrected into the eternal kingdom of Christ. So John Piper extends his, that, that previous quotation like this. He says this, God will bring you, body and soul, through life and death, to full and everlasting pleasure, if he is your safest refuge and supreme treasure and your sovereign Lord and trusted counselor. And how does that happen? Through Jesus Christ, the risen King of Kings. So through Jesus, we can actually experience this, what David is praying for. You know, David's praying, God, preserve me for joy. But he doesn't know how he's going to be preserved because he knows that he's actually going to die one day. But now we can understand that through Jesus, Jesus can actually preserve David and us for an eternity of joy. Um, so I've, I've loved this psalm for quite a while and, and really sought God to speak to me through it time and time again. And normally, uh, kind of with the lens of, you know, just an isolation of verse 9 to 11. You know, this just beautiful picture of heaven and what heaven's going to be like, and it's going to be pleasures forevermore, and it's going to be an everlasting joy. And I've prayed deeply saying, Father, show me the beauty of that, you know. Show me, uh, give me a desire for it. Give me a longing for it, uh, that I would actually long for that eternity with you. And this is what David is, is praying for that we'll be preserved for. So we're not just preserved for preserved sake, you know, we're actually being preserved for that eternity of joy. And um, Jonathan Edwards describes, in a way, this, this picture of heaven, he describes it like this. 
The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodation here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. And that made me think of, you know, moments in your life, like whether it's with your wife or uh, sometimes with Elizabeth, where you just have this moment of incredible joy. It's just like she's just doing what she does, and it kind of brings you, and you have this like really special moment of this um, kind of highlights of joy that you're finding. And it was, it was just powerful for me, to, for me to think as I read this quote and saying like, you know, the most joy that anyone's ever experienced on earth that, you know, they think is so powerful and so amazing, that is, it's just, just a beam, you know. It's just a shadow of the reality. It's just a stream of the ocean of the joy that we will one day find in God. I want to read another quote by C.S. Lewis um, and what he has to say about heaven. And this is possibly one of the most impactful things I've read by C.S. Lewis and probably by anyone. Um, so he says this, The mold in which a key is made would be a strange thing if you have never seen a key, and the key itself a strange thing if you had never seen a lock. Your soul has a curious shape because it is a hollow made to fit a particular swelling in the infinite contours of the divine substance, or a key to unlock one of the many doors in the house with many mansions. He's referring to John 14 there. He says, then your place in heaven will be seen to be made for you and you alone, because you were made for it, made for it stitch by stitch as a glove is made for a hand. And this, for me, when I, I initially read this, this is a quote from his book, The Problem of Pain, and it struck me because just personally, I've been silenced in the past, you know, thinking about heaven and thinking about eternity and, and wondering if I would actually like it or if it's something that I would want to desire, you know, which seems strange, but just being honest here, it's like this, this thing of feeling like, am I going to enjoy this thing? And often I felt very silenced by, by those thoughts. And thinking around like, you know, certain things on the earth which make me feel uneasy or which don't quite fit. And when I read this, I suddenly realized, you know, actually the reason it is like that is because I was made for something very different. That... Um, Actually, I was made for something else, that I was made, I was a key made specifically by God for a place in heaven made specifically for me. So what a wonder we find in Psalm 16 as David just kind of portrays the joy and the beauty of heaven and what we'll experience in God's presence. Now, as I've been kind of uh, prepping for this morning, and we actually did this in our life group, we went through Psalm 16 a couple of weeks ago. And uh, in doing that, I kind of found another wonder, uh, which was really impactful for me. And that was that in Psalm 16, we don't only see the beauty and the joy and just this kind of incredible painted picture or portrait of what heaven will be like, but we actually can be filled with assurance that we will get to heaven one day, that we will actually be preserved for heaven one day. And that that joy that we desire, that eternity that we desire will be ours one day because Christ sustains us and because he keeps us. So because we are kept, 
we can be assured that that experience will be ours. We see this in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So notice that this redeemed relationship with God is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. It is already our reality. And we only have to wait to acquire possession of it one day. And I was struck by this in just preparing this week, is that this isn't a work that we do. This is not something that we have to do. It's not, you know, it's being kept. It's being preserved. It is not us trying with all our might to hold on to Jesus so that we can survive until one day we kind of get into heaven and maybe be accepted by him. But through Jesus, we are preserved, that he's holding on to us, and that should bring us great joy and great faith, that he is preserving us for this future experience. And we see this clearly in Ephesians 1 and in many other New Testament texts, that actually our salvation, you know, our, our position in the house of Father, of Father God and our, our position in the presence of Him is a present reality. Like, it's happened, it's done. But it's a present reality of a future experience. But that that future experience has been secured. And this is really what I'm trying to capture in this idea of being kept. It's not like keep yourself you know, David's not saying, hold on as tight as you can so that one day you'll experience joy. He's saying, hey, look here, Jesus is holding on to you. Jesus is preserving you for that joy. So it's, in a way, not something that we can do. It's actually something that we just need to see and something that we need to love. So we can be secured and we can find hope. That's really what I'm asking God to do this morning, to fill us with great hope that there may be hardships and tough things that we've been going through and been a tough year and almost like lifting our eyes and saying, in a way, I'm not, I'm, I'm not praying to be preserved from this situation, Father. I'm praying to be preserved eternally. And I know that you will because your word says that you will preserve me. So that's what we need to do. We need to rest in Jesus and we need to pray like David prayed, Father, preserve me, but at the same time, I'm filled with assurance that you will. praying with an understanding that this future joy, being in the very presence of God, is not something that we might receive or may receive as sons and daughters of God, but something that we will receive because Jesus ensures that we will. So to close, we look back. We look back to David, and through David we see more beauty as we look up to Jesus. And through looking up to Jesus, we can look forward with a deeper level of faith and hope in God that Christ will preserve us for this eternity of joy. Great. I'm going to pray for us, and then we are um, actually going to take communion together. And uh, I just really wanted this to be a moment of reflecting, like allowing God to speak to us and say, Father, help me to truly know. Help me to have this assurance, you know, as you take the juice and the cracker, that you're, you're celebrating and remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. And yeah, I really just want you guys to pray that God would reveal that to you in a deep and true sense 
um, as we do that together. So you can go for it. I think there's some over there, and they're all there. Nice. <laughs> cool, you can go.